0: This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve him in their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Well, we've just got a little bit of time before we enter into the Lenten season, and so it's always a weird... Bit of ordinary time because there's not really enough of it to really kind of settle into a groove of it being ordinary, before we enter into that Lenten observance and penance and preparing ourselves uh, to to meditate on the Paschal mystery. Uh, about this time last year, we had Anna Frey join us to talk about her book, Servium Non-Servium, which was a, a third, uh, an examination of conscience, a daily examination of conscience. You can find that show back at February 20th of 2021 by going to OutsideTheWalls.com. It's been about a year, which means it's about time to bring her on again. We're thrilled to have Anna Frey join us, and she's going to be talking about a new book, a kind of a spiritual retreat in book form. Uh, available on Ave Maria Press called We Are Beloved, 30 Days with Thea Bowman, a great spiritual teacher. Kariana, thank you for being with us.
1: Thanks for having me back, T.L. It's been uh, fantastic, and I'm so happy to be with you again and with all of your listeners.
0: I'm really looking forward to this book because I'm looking forward to learning more about the life of Sister Thea Bowman. I first learned about her a couple of years ago when her cause for canonization was opened, and of course now she is servant of God, Thea Bowman. She was a religious sister active in promoting the dignity of the human person, and specifically in calling the church to embody that unity, which is really kind of central to who she is, uh, that, that the church is above all things, one. And so calling us to live out that unity. And of course, that message is still so important for us to hear today. So Kariana, tell us how you first came to know about Sister Thea Bowman. And for those who are unaware of her legacy, can you share a little bit of a biography with us about her life?
1: Of course, um, I like to say that I did not seek out Sister Thea. I think she actually sought me out, and I think that happens a lot with our saint friends, is that we do not realize uh, they are pursuing us and that they're 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 seeking us out until it kind of hits you like a like a bolt out of the blue. But I actually have a, a little bit of a personal connection with Sister Thea that I is through my aunt. So my my uh, my maternal aunt, uh, she went to school at the University of Wisconsin at La Crosse. And the University of Wisconsin at La Crosse is actually very near to Viterbo College. And Sister Thea was a professor over at Viterbo. And it turns out that my aunt was friends with quite a few women that attended classes with Sister Thea. So we have this, I think at that point, it's be what, third degrees of, sec- of separation. Um, and growing up in Milwaukee, you know, as I learned more and more about, about Sister Thea, she did quite a few uh, outreach events and just... Uh, 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 speaking events, engagements in the city of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So having that very close proximity to her when I was younger, and not even knowing it, is not only kind of gives me goosebumps, but it reminds me of the roles that are that the saints play in all of our lives to begin with. Uh, I think we tend to forget about our sainted friends until we need them, but we should remember that you know our we are always surrounded by a community by a community of saints and that they are they're there for us and they're waiting for us to to just kind of you know notice that they're there so that was kind of for me it's definitely a little bit of a personal connection but what uh, a couple of things about sister Thea is that she was born in mississippi um and actually became catholic so she was not born catholic her parents were uh, you'd consider middle class uh her father was was a physician um, and it's one where she was she grew up methodist and it was through the work of the catholic church down in her in her city and in, in the state of mississippi that she really saw that heart of service and so that's what drew her to the church was the work that the church was doing um that the work that the nuns and the priests were doing for her community for the children in her neighborhood and through her school, and it was at the age of, I believe it was right around seven, when she decided that she wanted to become a Catholic, mm-hmm. which is, is is which can be mind boggling. But when I think of my own story, I grew up in the Baptist church. And it was at the age of seven when I accepted Christ and I became a Christian. Um, and so for those who are uh, from a non-Catholic background, you know, that's, it's that, that, that choice of deciding to walk with Christ versus um, infant baptism, which I absolutely adore as well. Um, and so I can kind of, you know, picture a little seven-year-old, Thea, and then myself at seven, that you can, at that age, you'll make a, a, a groundbreaking decision for your life. And so she became, uh, she actually became Catholic. And then at the age of 15 is when she first started thinking about wanting to become a nun, which again is another great big step. And so she joined the, the the Franciscan Sisters, and she was uh, she went up to La Crosse, Wisconsin, which was a complete and total cultural shock coming <laughs> from Mississippi. Uh, I well, yeah, I have family in Mississippi, but I have never really been down there. But I know that it's hot yeah. <laughs> and warm, and uh, La Crosse in the wintertime is not. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm actually speaking to you right now from the Twin Cities, where we've just moved back from California, and it's uh, it's it's not it's not hot; it's quite cold. <laughs> and so, you know, to to be uprooted from your community, and to be plopped into a community where she was most likely one of the very few uh, African American faces in, especially in in her in her um, in her uh, group of sisters, right. uh, for sure. But then also in the in the city of La Crosse, it was you know this is back in the um, let me go ahead and get my timeline just so I can be absolutely correct. Uh, we're looking at you know in the in the mid the, the mid 50s or so, early to mid 50s. Um, you're not going to have as many uh, Black American sisters for sure, and in, in a white congregation. Um, and so she, I think, at that point, really came and hit on this idea of bringing your entire self because she was an outsider. She's an outsider, both geographically. She was an outsider racially. She was outsider in, even as being con- having converted into the faith. But what did she have in common with all of her other sisters was that love of Christ and that love for neighbor. And the fact that she brought her whole self, she never felt that she had to change anything about who she was in order to be loved uh, is a great reminder for all of us is that, that Christ loves us where we are. And that does not necessarily mean that we're just called to stay stagnant. We are always called for growth, but there's that beautiful thought of knowing that, that right now, wherever you are, wherever you're listening, whatever you're doing right now, Christ loves you right where you are. And what a gift that is.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the things that, I love about the saints is this regional characteristic. Um, and of course we speak of, of her, even though she's declared servant of God, we fully believe you and I, that she's well on her way to canonization, that she is a saint interceding for us. Um, even though the church hasn't given her that distinction yet, that doesn't mean that we can't have a devotion to her. One of the things I love about the saints is this regional component that we sometimes maybe in the west forget about because a lot of our saints are external to us. Um but I was recently overseas and what what struck me there is the way that that devotion played out in a very regional way and there was very definitely uh this church had the relics of this saint and there were a you know <laughs> I've been to places where there were the glass coffins before, but never had I been somewhere where they had been like little pieces of paper with prayer requests shoved in between the glass uh, and then there on the inside as this idea of somehow if I can get my prayer request close enough or near enough that, that that might make a difference. And I think intuitively we know this. Like when we go to the grave of a loved one, we we recognize that there's something about that proximity and that closeness that, that makes them closer to us, even though as the communion of the saints, we have connection to them all over. There is this sense of, well, she is a saint for us, for our community, for our, for our nation. That's, that's directly connected to us in a very tangible way that, that maybe a saint from the third century wouldn't be. At the same time, I recall going um, years ago to, to Athens and standing just below the Parthenon on the uh, the Areopagus, which is where Paul went and preached that sermon about the unknown God, and there's this this large plaque there with that whole sermon listed. And there was something in the sense of, oh, I've been I've been where he was. I have this now connection to that proximity. That I think a lot of times in the West, specifically in America, we we somehow have maybe lost sight of or or don't put as much emphasis on. And yet for you being right down the road from from where she ended up, there is that that sense of belonging and connection that's different than if you're just reading about that person in a book.
1: Well, that's so very true. And um, I know we, we read, you know, speaking of, of St. Paul, we read in his letter to the Romans, um, and this is Romans uh, chapter one, verse seven, where All of us are currently saints. We don't have that title, Mm -hmm. um, but because of our communion and because of our relationship with Christ, we are all in that communion of saints. Um, And I think maybe it's that, that distinction between saints versus angels. But that, I think, also makes it even more tangible is that even though none of us are, that very few of us are carrying that title of saint, we are all still part of that community of saint. And then this is now going to be kind of the, my, the science teacher would be coming out, uh, <laughs> this idea of time, because time is, for me, time is not something to limit us, but time is, is, lim- is limitless. And so I think you know, to hearing your story about about being in Athens and you know standing where Saint Paul stood, you know, all we have to do is remove that concept of time, and you are there with Paul. You know, we are always in existence with our with our our saints, um, no matter where we are and when we are, because we all exist and we are all part of that family of that the community of God. Um, but I do agree. I think there's something really nice about having that saint friend who has been there. And I think that is really what, uh, why our church reveres saints so much, because these are humans that, for the most part, have been where we are. We know that you know, in, in Ecclesiastes, we hear that there's nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. And that is very true, that all of our trials and our tribulations that we are experiencing right now in 21st century America, someone else has already been there, and they have the roadmap to get to the other side. That you're never experiencing something completely new under the sun, and all we have to do is sometimes humble ourselves and say, "Lord, I send me somebody, send me something to let me know that I'm going to be okay." Um, because there are sometimes that's what you need. You need to hear that idea that you're going to be okay, and maybe it's a maybe it's a, a homily, or maybe it's a saint story you hear, or maybe it's just someone telling you about. Their Their cousin, um, but it's that reminder of we're going to be okay because we're never we're never left alone and we're never abandoned.
0: Well, this is the story all throughout the the scriptures and and I've talked about this on the show multiple times that this recurring theme that God speaks and says, uh, "I will be your people, I will be your God and you will be my people, and I will dwell among you right This idea of of closeness and it's going to be okay, Uh, We see that with God accompanying the the children of Israel through the wilderness with a pillar of cloud and of fire. And then once they get established, we see that with the Ark of the Covenant. And then step by step, then we have the Incarnation, we have the prophets, we have all of these various things, the apostles and the doctors of the church carrying us through and saying... um, he will be our God, and we will be his people, and he will dwell among us, and bringing that reminder into place. I think this is one of the reasons that when we have saints and we try to figure out who's who's my patron saint, or, or offering ourselves uh, to the saints saying, okay, somebody pick me, we tend to gravitate, or they tend to gravitate, depending on your perspective, uh, towards shared experiences, whether that be Uh, someone who has gone through very similar uh, difficulties, or whether that be someone who shares some kind of, uh, again, regional uh, affectation. Uh, But I think of these saints going through their lives at their time, at their stage, and asking God those same questions. Am I going to be okay? Is this going to work out for me? Will you still remain with me in your presence? And specifically with Sister Bowman what a a beautiful picture she is of God's enduring presence as she lived um, a very tangible and vocal witness, even as she was dealing with some very difficult things with the cancer at the end of her life and, and how she still had just radiant joy and, and served as a witness that even in the midst of those kinds of, of difficult and painful situations, she still, stood as witness that God's presence remains.
1: That's exactly right. And I think that's something that can be hard for us to really embrace this idea of joy in the midst of suffering. And I, part of that may be because we don't like to acknowledge suffering. We don't like to know that sometimes life is going to hurt or that people mm-hmm. around us are going to hurt Um, It's almost easier to put blinders on and pretend like it's never going to happen. But we know that's not how life is. And I think her example of toward the end of her life and dealing with her cancer diagnosis and then also all the effects from various treatments, how she never let her cancer diagnosis define her and she never let her cancer diagnosis rob her of her joy. Um, she, yes, there were limits to what she could do. There was times where she was not able to actually walk and she had to rely on a wheelchair. And yet throughout all of these, she never let that cancer take over her life because her life had already been given to Christ. It already belonged to Christ. And there was nothing for the cancer to take away except for her physical being. And I think it's one where once you have, once you know that, that there's only good to come in your life, then it does make those, those, those harder, those, those moments of suffering, you can see the good in it. Cause I think sometimes uh, God will use suffering in order to, to help, to encourage us to become the next step, to help us move along our journeys, because we can get very, very comfortable in our journeys. And then something will kind of, will happen to throw us off our guard. And now we realize, we realize that, Maybe we've been relying on ourselves too much and we forgot that our trust needs to be in God and not in our own understanding that and not, and not only in what we can do. Um, not saying that that God purposefully puts things in your in your path to to cause you to, to turn around and look at him. Um, but I think it's oftentimes those hard times in life where we do finally turn around and acknowledge that there is always something bigger at play than we are either acknowledging or ready for. And it's in those moments, I think, where we not only can dig deep and get into our own our own wells of fortitude, but also acknowledging our own humility and smallness in the world.
0: Mm-hmm. We're talking today with Carrie Frey, who has a new book, We Are Beloved, uh, available on Ave Maria Press. That's a 30-day retreat looking at the Life and the Writings of Sister Theoboman, Servant of God, Sister Theoboman. I've only become aware of her in the recent past. Uh, the Daughters of St. Paul did a big push. Uh, they put out a double CD of her beautiful singing of, of spirituals. She was re- and responsible for a beautiful hymnal that gathered a whole bunch of African-American spirituality together. Uh, I love hymnals. I have a hymnal collection, so that kind of grabbed my interest as well. Uh, and then i also saw just one of her writings and that's her speeches rather when she got up and spoke before the bishops um but that's kind of the fullness of my experience with sister Theoboman. and you have a, a a book taking us through 30 days of her writings so give us a little bit of a sense of her legacy and what this book will help us to see
1: I think the the biggest thing that this thirty day retreat and I and I love the thirty day format. I think that's just that's just it's pocket size. It's just long enough for you to really get into it without uh, it becoming this uh, almost rote. So it's it's just I think the thirty day length is always a fantastic uh, length for all of us very very busy people out there. And uh, the source material for a lot of her for for a bulk of this book is. A lot of her old writings or speeches or papers, um, and I was able I'm really grateful for the Internet because so much of her work was was already uh, reproduced and put on on the Internet. And I was able to track down the original source material. Um, So that's been really, very helpful, along with uh, people who have gone before me and have written extensively about her and her career, her, uh, her life. Um, uh, including some of her own personal friends, uh, I am really grateful to used bookshops as well because yeah. I was able to source a lot of material there. So yeah. support your used bookshops for sure. Um, but I, what, what she does with her words, um, she, she was she really had a way with words, which makes sense. She her her um, education as far as postgraduate was in was in the English department, so she was an English teacher and a writing teacher. And you can tell by the way that she crafts her words, that words were really important to her and uh, part of her life. And in here, she, she offers a lot of challenges. And I think a lot of these challenges really were kind of radical for their time. I think one uh, of her writings that really sticks out to me was when she talked about how we're not all called to be the same. Um, And how she even calls it out saying, you know what, there are those of us who are black, and we are white, and those are those who are Asian, and who are European, and she goes on and on and on. And she's not pulling these differences out to see to say, see, look how different we are. But it was more about look at this beautiful diversity that God has created. And what a shame it would be for us to blend away that diversity. And I think that what really came out of this was, this was right around the time where there's uh, more of that, that talk about the great American melting pot, mm-hmm. this idea that all cultures come to America and just kind of melt right on in, but that's not what happens. And that's one of the best things about our country is that we have people that will come to our country and bring their cultures with us and we're able to experience the richness of of all these these cultures in one location, uh, I had a friend tell a story about how she spent some time in Italy and she loved being in Italy and uh, loved everything about Italy. But then after a while, she started missing um, Indian food. <laughs> she started she started missing uh, she started missing um, being able to get food from. Uh, she started missing you know, being able to get uh, sushi or being able to get Armenian food or being able to get, uh, you know, good, a good Mexican street taco. She started missing these things because in Italy she could get Italian food. Yeah. And that was it was kind of limited as far as, you know, even, even the region where she was. And so I think when we we when we forget that our country, the diversity of our country is not something to. To, to be used as a weapon is to show as to how we are different, but to show that beautiful diversity that God has created, uh, we lose something. And that's what I think Sister Thea really brought forth to the conversation, that we are all different. And that's a good thing because that means we're gonna bring different ideas. We're gonna bring different perspectives. We're gonna bring um, thoughts that may not have been brought up had I not been at that table. And there's this idea of, you know, making sure that there's room at the table For all parts of the conversation, even if you're not comfortable with it, we should make sure that there's room at the table because that might be a perspective that you may never have thought about because that is not the existence that you have lived and how much of a shame that be to miss that opportunity for connection because someone was missing and not there.
0: This is one of the beautiful things about Catholicism. I forget who says it, but there's that statement: "Oh, Catholicism! Here comes everyone, right? Um, <laughs> that that we have a a global church that has representatives from every single corner. Uh, you look at the the lists of saints, even in in the U.S. As we look through our." our feast days that the USCCB gives us, and we have uh, St. Paul Mickey and his companions, and we, we have uh, uh, St. Martin de Porres, and people from all over the world coming to give us insight into the way we live our Christian life. And what a poverty it would be for us to focus only on those saints who made us feel comfortable. That the saints used by the Holy Spirit are there to to bring us comfort, but also to challenge us to live lives more fully conformed to the likeness of Christ. And of course, the likeness of Christ is, is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free. Uh, it's, it's all and in all. And so I, I think that even those parts of the lives of saints or the words of the saints that may, might make us feel uncomfortable, almost those are more important to us than the ones who we can look at and just kind of pat ourselves on the back and feel like we're, we're set.
1: Exactly. I think, uh, echo chamber echo chambers are comfortable and they're safe to be in, but they don't teach us anything. Uh, I always like that, that thought of, you know, that you're growing when you're uncomfortable. I mean, when you're a kid, you have growing pains and you know that, that when you have growing pains, you're going to shoot up three inches over the next couple of weeks. Um, and we, but we like to be comfortable. We like our comfort. We don't, we don't like to have feathers ruffled. We definitely don't like to have our opinions challenged. Um, and that's because I think sometimes we put too much stock in our own selves we need to, at times, step outside of ourselves and just seek for understanding. Uh, and I, I was a couple weeks ago, um, and some of you may, may join me in this. Um, I'm a huge fan of Ted Lasso. I will already <laughs> tell you that right now. And I was uh, re-watching uh, part of season one and it was, uh, no spoilers here, don't worry. But there's an episode in which he quotes Walt Whitman and he says, uh, be curious, not judgmental. Mm-hmm. And I think we have lost that curiosity part. And I see that with my, I, I, see, I like how, how little kids can be very curious. They have no guile, they're just very curious and they'll ask very innocent questions without any type of meaning behind it. And there are times I wish that we as adults could have that same type of curiosity instead of already either you know, jumping to a conclusion or asking our question with the idea that we're going to get uh, an answer that we're already expecting. And so I think when, uh, when we really take the time to learn about, our, about other saints, and again, our, our church, Catholic means universal. It does not necessarily, not necessarily mean Western European. It means everything else. When we take yeah. a moment to find out more about our, our different saints from different cultures, what a blessing that is and how much more fun will that be in heaven when we, when we get to see all these saints in person like i've read about you your entire life and i now get to meet you <laughs> that's kind of where, where where i am and i think about that that's that's the part of our church that is just, just the most the most beautiful that you know that everyone there is that everyone is welcome. To be here. Yeah. And yeah, that does mean that sometimes you're going to have to get rid of things that are, that you're clinging to. There may be sins that you're clinging to, but let them go and, in, and embrace what God has in store for you.
0: You know, if you look at nature, when you look at uh, the, in uh, an environment, you're going to have rich diversity, it's not until you get into the suburbs that you start to see all the grass starting to look the same and all of the sidewalks starting to look the same and all everything's just perfectly manicured. But when you go out just a little bit beyond that or even into a lot that's been left to, to its own devices, you begin to see a rich diversity, each bringing its own benefit to that ecosystem. And I think the same is true for us as we look to the church. Uh, we're talking today with Anna Frey about her new book, We Are Beloved, 30 Days with Theo Bowman. It's available on Ave Maria Press. When we come back, we're going to get more into the details of this written retreat. And don't just go yourself. Get a group together to go through this together so that you're not walking alone or not even just you and the saint, but walking with people from within your own parish, within your own community to grow deeper in your knowledge of God. There's so much more to come right after this, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L., and we're talking today with Kariana Frey about a new book called... We Are Beloved, 30 Days with Thea Bowman. It's available on Ave Maria Press, and it serves as a 30-day retreat using her writings and her life to guide us into a deeper relationship with God. Now, um, Thea Bowman, as I mentioned earlier, compiled a hymnal called Lead Me, Guide Me, the African-American Catholic hymnal, and I love hymnals. In fact, if you're ever curious what to get me, if, you, if you're out to, to send me something special, Um, just check my list, which I don't have, but I should put one together, uh, and get me a hymnal I don't have because I've got about, uh, 58 hymnals from various traditions. Uh, I think my earliest one is a facsimile of one from the 1700s. Then the the oldest one that I actually have that actually is old is from, I think, 1897. And then I've got just, just every imaginable iteration of, of Catholic and Methodist and, and, um, Uh, everything. Uh, One that was really interesting was one that I bought before I was Catholic. It's a Catholic hymnal. And I found out, uh, it's apparently a very popular hymnal from the 20s, the the St. Gregory hymnal, the blue one with a whole bunch of Latin and various things in it. I found out, after we became Catholic, that my wife's great-great-uncle compiled that hymnal, and who who would have thought, because she didn't grow up Catholic and I didn't grow up Catholic, and, and here it's just kind of sitting in my collection, there's something very meaningful about someone who belongs to us putting together a list of hymns, curating a list of hymns that help us to grow in community through our sung worship. And of course, Thea has done the same thing for her community And i think all of us benefit from the riches that we find within
1: that that story just kind of gave me chills (laughs) we talk about how how closely connected we all are except for that pesky time thing Um, but yeah that is really it really gave me chills thinking of that and um, i love you know music is a big part of my life we are my family is a very musical family uh has been i grew up i actually grew up in the missionary baptist church with Mm -hmm. an amazing gospel choir And so therefore, you know, music and worship really go hand in hand. And one thing that we will, you know, and it's funny because I think music can be something that can really divide Catholics for whatever reason, (laughs) whether it means, I mean, maybe we're just, we're just kind of combative people in general. I don't know, not Catholics, not Catholics specifically, but just people in general, but it is amazing how music can truly divide people. Um, and I, I actually had a very similar experience when I first became Catholic and feeling like if I were, since I am now Catholic, I can only listen to hymns that are sung in Latin. And it, granted, not part of this was, it was the, the early 2000s. So the whole like Gregorian chant phase was really popular. Yeah. But if I was, if I were to be Catholic, I meant everything was going to be in Latin and everything had to be Gregorian chant or, you know polyphonic rhythm or polyphonic sounds and that I had to just disregard everything that I grew up with and for me there was a that was a bit of a dark time of my life because it felt like I was I was uh just getting rid of part of who I am because of the history of those gospel songs had in my soul, and that's what brought me to Christ to begin with. And then to say I'm going to just completely disregard this because it's not the right kind of music was a little bit. It was it was soul shattering. And I I went. One thing that Sister Thea talks about um, is her shared love of music. So if you we can actually hear her singing. If you were to go to Spotify or even Apple Music, you can hear there there are uploads of her of her singing and her and her songs. And one thing that you will notice and the thing that I noticed is that she does not have, um, a, a perfect voice. Mm-hmm. She does not have, and there's no auto tune happening here. Right. <laughs> uh, it is, it is her voice as God created it. And it is, it's, it's soul stirring and you, you can hear the worship in her, in her songs and then she even goes on in some of her writings later on says that when you can't sing, sometimes all you can do is moan or groan. And yet God can still hear and understand what you are saying. And so, you know, we talk a little bit about diversity as far as people goes, as far as ideas goes, and how all these things to be represented. Uh, I think the same thing has to be said for music. And, yes, we can have our preferences for music 100 um, percent. We all currently have preferences for music but I think the 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 challenge comes into play when we start to to say that one type of worship music is good or is reverent or is appropriate while another type of worship music while equally reverent you know we're not talking songs that have heresies that we're spotting out Mm -hmm. um but uh, then another type of music is no longer reverent because it may have um a drum set or it may have a tambourine and then this is not, and this is something that's been said before. Uh, and it's because we have to think about regional differences. If you are a community of believers in the Caribbean, most likely you're not going to have a an organ. Right. And why is this? Because moist heat does terrible things to wood. Yeah. <laughs> I have girls that are string players. I've got a violist and a cello player, and they know what happens to their instruments if the uh, if the environment's not the best and so we ha- we should not limit the type of worship music to what we what what the prevailing you know norms are again as long as the music is not heretical um and you know it's it's one where we again i i'm a, i definitely live in the realm of of both and and this idea that we can both be reverent and it can have a good beat to it if it needs to, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> or we can both be worshipful and have beautiful harmonies. I think that there there's room there's room for every type of music out there, um, as long as it and if it stirs something in your soul and it makes you turn your eyes to God, then it's done its job and it's beautiful.
0: And I, you know, I'm coming from a place of probably leaning more towards the the Gregorian chant than others. Uh, I love the organ. I used to, before I became Catholic, I was the guy who uh, was leading the music in the Protestant church, and it, we had the lights and big drums, as I like to say. Um, at the same time that I would not prefer that uh, in in that context, a large part of my reasoning for that is I'm really hesitant about the curation of the lyrics, and do those lyrics actually accomplish what liturgically is happening at this moment at the same time uh, a a acknowledging what i've just said and moving now to another place we have to acknowledge the the cultural patrimonies that are different from one uh, community to another and allow for that that patrimony to inform the way that that they worship almost as if it were a rite even though, of course, we're all together here in the Latin Rite, there is this sense of the way that we put things together is is united. We share that common Eucharist, but not necessarily uniform.
1: Right? Yeah, and that's that. That's where I think we we have to. I like how you said that we we're really watching out for whether or not the lyrics are appropriate um for whatever is going on i think then i think that that really can be done with various types of music and it said like to to your point of trying to see you know where is the culture coming from it would it make sense for a church let's say in the middle of los angeles to uh with with a with varying different types of cultures that are all come together um if it's not part of that culture the church then to, to plop in a Gregorian chant may not go over well because now you've basically cut your, your people off from one mode of worship. Mm-hmm. And yes, we know that uh, when we go to Mass that the Eucharist is the source and summit of everything that's happening. That is, that is the moment. You know, if nothing else, you are there for the Eucharist. But at the same time, we also acknowledge that music can play a really big role in how you are experiencing that worship. Mm-hmm. And if you end up disconnected for so much of the mass because of the music, it can, it is not impossible to, to, to get back, you know, get back engaged. Um, but it does, it can take away from, from your full experience because as Catholics, our worship is completely 100% sensual, meaning that we use every one of our five senses when we are worshiping. It's not just our eyes or our ears, but when we worship, we worship for it with our entire selves down to our taste buds when we receive the body of Christ in in, in under the guise of the host. And as that as we become living tabernacles walking out of that 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 mass right
0: afterward. There aren't very many styles of music, if maybe any styles of music, that at one point in time or another in history have not been decried by the majority of people saying, oh, well, you can't do that. You can't have you can't have an organ because or you can't you know, it, each of these things has its own historical moment of resistance. and So it's important for us to recognize that as well one of the things you bring up there is bringing our whole self into the experience of worship, that it brings all of our senses involved. And this is something that sister Thea also is very adamant about that we bring our whole self, not only into worship, but also into whatever act we're doing for the community, for the kingdom of God.
1: Right. So one, one of her biggest legacies is this idea of making sure that you go out there and do something to make your world that much better. Uh, it's very easy for us to lament, to say, oh, the world's falling apart and why won't God do something about it? And I will tell you that yes, God is doing something about it. And that something is you. You know, Each of us has been given wonderful gifts and talents And we are called to use those gifts and talents. I love the parable of the steward, uh, you know, the one that gets in trouble for burying the talents in the dirt because he wants to make sure that they're saved for when the king comes back. Um, And so many of us do that with our own talents or, or we feel that our talents are not good enough. And I want to tell each and every person listening right now that yes, your talents are good enough. <laughs> um, that you should stop selling yourself short. If you want to get up there and sing with your church choir, go and sing with your church choir. If you want to go and, and, and lead in catechesis, go lead in catechesis. Um, if you just want to go out there and do outreach, whether it's with the unhoused in your area or with young adults or with, uh, with our, our elderly that are feeling disconnected, then go out and do that. You know, God is calling each and every one of us to do something to to make our world that much nicer. And one thing uh, that that one thing that, that sister Thea says, and this is actually in, in my in my book here that I that I edited, she says, We're all called to preach, to shout the good news by our lives, never too young, never too old to share life, faith, and love. So long as we have breath and being, we are called to be life givers and life nourishers and life sustainers. So we're all called to be evangelists. We're all called to to reach other people. We're all called to carry the gospel on our arms and on our person because that's what we do as Christians. That's what we do as followers of Christ. We don't keep all that good stuff for ourselves. We share it with others, and we share it through our actions. We share it through our words, and we share it uh, by the way that we behave on on social media. Um, we share it in everything that we do in our lives. And if there's some part of your life that you are either not sharing, or you're not that you're not uh, that's not life-giving or life-sustaining, maybe that's a piece that you can take some time to really reevaluate and see how can you better orient that to be to point more toward Christ and less away from self.
0: Well, and we are all called to be disciples and missionary disciples, and I love that. We're called to be preachers, and I think that what's important for us to realize is that we are preaching a gospel message regardless of, of what we do or what we say. The question is, will we be preaching the right gospel, or will we be preaching a, a twisted gospel because of our actions or our words or our silence that that don't bring glory to God, the father.
1: Right. And I think that's, that's a, a trap that we can fall into. That silence piece. Uh, that idea of what, if I don't, if I don't say something, then I, I can't get in trouble or I won't be challenged. Um, and I think this is one thing that really, uh, for those who really enjoy apologetics and even debate uh, it's one where you you really have to understand, you know, know, know your audience for one thing, but also know what our faith, what our faith really teaches. I think that we are all called, no matter if you are a cradle Catholic, or if you converted, we are all called to learn more and more about our faith in order to share our faith accurately, because there is a lot about our faith that can be twisted and that can be misinterpreted. And it's up to us, to help correct that. We can't leave it just to the church hierarchy because there's a lot going on in the church. Um, And it should not just be up to Pope Francis to make a decree um, and, and, and down to the bishops, but it's also each and every one of us as baptized Catholics that we should know what our faith teaches and what our faith what, what is true about our faith and the best rest resource. I mean, I think every Catholic should make sure they have in their home uh, a copy of their favorite translation of the Bible uh, and the catechism mm-hmm. and make it a point of at least looking through both of those every so often.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're talking today with Carrie Frey. The new book is we are beloved 30 days with Thea Bowman. It is a personal 30-day retreat based on the prophetic words of servant of God, Sister Thea Bowman, renowned black Catholic evangelizer, teacher, writer, and singer. Don't just go through it by yourself. Get a couple of copies and grab a couple of friends to go through this with you so that you can process those words in community. Cariana, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me, T.L. This was wonderful. I always, I loved our conversation last time, and I love this conversation. You're a, a fantastic person to chat with.
0: If you missed any part of my conversation with Keriana Frey, or you want to go back and listen to it again, or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Right there at the top of the page, you'll find this week's episode. If you want to go back and find her other episode, she joined us about a year ago, just click the three bars in the top left-hand corner of the page. It'll pop out a menu. You scroll down, find her name, and click on it. And if you just can't get enough, well, I've got good news. There is even more. Each and every week, we continue our conversation that we put in an extra segment to give to all of those who support the show through Patreon. Patreon. Our Patreon support community helps keep us on the air, and so we keep them in good content by making these extra segments available. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link in the top right-hand corner of the page. Now let's turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and church history. That's the sound of our Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read scripture in light of church teaching. Putting the magisterium at your fingertips by linking scripture to the catechism, to fathers and doctors of the church, uh, papal documents, so much more, including some biblical commentaries. You can learn more by going to verbum.com. Our reading from scripture today comes from the letter of St. James, chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. And we heard these in Mass uh, just this past Thursday. And I think that it really lines up as we're thinking about what Sister Thea Bowman has to teach us. I think it just kind of meshes right in with this reading from our Mass recently. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones the the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to Scripture, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. That reading comes from the Epistle of St. James. And the Compendium of the Social Doctrine of the Church, around number 144, references this passage and says this. God shows no partiality since all people have the same dignity as creatures made in his image and likeness. The incarnation of the Son of God shows the equality of all people with regard to dignity. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus." Since something of the glory of God shines on the face of every person, the dignity of every person before God is the basis of the dignity of man before other men. Moreover, this is the ultimate foundation of the radical equality and brotherhood among all people, regardless of their race, nation, sex, origin, culture, or class." That again comes from the compendium of the social doctrine of the church, referencing that passage we just read in James 2.4. And this is something that we all need to grab a hold of. Our fundamental dignity does not come from what we look like, what we do, anything about our person in and of ourselves. Our dignity is endowed upon us, because strictly because we are made in the image and the likeness of God we bear the image of God and therefore have dignity and so nothing can take that away because it doesn't come from our behavior it comes from uh specifically the fact that God made us in his image it doesn't come from our history and our culture it comes from the fact that we were made in the image of God and so we as Christians are called to recognize God in others, to recognize that image and to acknowledge the dignity of every human person, acknowledging our kinship to one another, realizing that we are all one. Our reading from church history today comes from the uh, breviary from the tractates of the first letter of John by St. Augustine. We have been promised that we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. By these words, the tongue has done its best. Now we must apply the meditation of the heart. Although they are the words of St. John, what are they in comparison with the divine reality? How can we, so greatly inferior to John in merit, add anything of our own? Yet we have received, as John has told us, an anointing by the Holy One, which teaches us inwardly more than our tongue can speak. Let us turn to this source of knowledge, and because at present you cannot see, make it your business to desire the divine vision. The entire life of a good Christian is in fact an exercise of holy desire. You do not yet see what you long for, but the very act of desiring prepares you so that when he comes, you may see and be utterly satisfied. Suppose you're going to fill some holder or container and you know that you will be given a large amount. Then you set about stretching your sack or wineskin or whatever it is. Why? Because you know the quantity you will have to put in it and your eyes tell you that there is not enough room. By stretching it, therefore, you increase the capacity of the sack. And this is how God deals with us, simply by making us wait while he increases our desire, which in turn enlarges the capacity of our soul, making it able to receive what is to be given to us. So, my brethren, let us continue to desire, for we shall be filled. Take note of St. Paul stretching, as it were, his ability to receive what is to come. Not that I have already obtained this, he said, or am made perfect. Brethren, I do not consider that I have already obtained it. We might ask him, if you have not yet obtained it, what are you doing in this life? This one thing I do, answers Paul, forgetting what lies behind and stretching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the prize to which I am called in the life above. Not only did Paul say he stretched forward, but he also declared that he pressed on toward a chosen goal. He realized, in fact, that he was still short of receiving what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived. Such is our Christian life. By desiring heaven, we exercise the powers of our soul. Now, this exercise will be effective only to the extent that we free ourselves from desires leading to infatuation with this world. Let me return to the example I've already used of filling an empty container. God means to fill each of you with what is good, so cast out what is bad. If he wishes to fill you with honey, and you are full of sour wine, where is the honey to go? The vessel must be emptied of its contents and then be cleansed. Yes, it must be cleansed even if you have to work hard and scour it. It must be made fit for the new thing, whatever it may be. We may go on speaking figuratively of honey, gold, or wine, but whatever we say cannot express the reality we are to receive. The name of that reality is God. But who will claim that in one syllable we utter the full expanse of our heart's desire? Therefore, whatever we say is necessarily less than the full truth we must extend ourselves toward the measure of Christ so that when he comes, he may fill us with his presence. Then we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That reading again comes from the tractates on the first letter of John by St. Augustine. And Oh, there's so much here, but I don't have much time. So I just want to say this, looking at this in light of what we learned from Sister Thea Bowman when we look around the world and realize that the fullness of God's kingdom has not yet come, when we look and see the divisions and we see that we are not yet united, then we have to go about enlarging our sack. We have to go about preparing a container to hold all that God has for us. And it may be hard work and it may be painful and it may require scouring and it may require throwing some things out, that are currently filling up and taking up the space meant for the kingdom of God. And that has to do with, uh, with social and economic and racial equity. We have to look at those things that are standing in the way of that reality, that we are all one together, neither slave nor free. And we have to say, okay, that being the case, let me make room for Christ's coming and for the fullness of, of that unity that he has to give to us as his church. That's all the time we have for today. The book, again, is We Are Beloved, 30 Days with Thea Bowman, available right now on Ave Maria Press. it would be great reading for you this Lenten season. Today's show is brought to you by Eileen Herman and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, and consider joining their numbers. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you.